Legacy Coder Podcast Episode 2 How to Automate Your Natural Build Process Welcome to the Legacy Coder Podcast. This is Episode 2 and my name is Stefan Macke and today I would like to talk to you about automating your build process and by that I mean your natural build process and yes that is possible and it's also quite easy to do if you know which tools you need and I'm gonna talk about the process of automating the natural build process because I did that over the last few months. We fully automated our build process from a push to git until the automated deployment of the new version of the application onto our production environment. And I've brought a few questions for you today which I will be answering over the next few minutes and they are why would I want to automate the build process in the first place? What's the point of doing that? What steps may need to be automated? What tools are available for automating the natural build process? And how can I get started if I don't have anything automated yet? And the last question, how can you go even further than what's possible today? So we'll take a look at the future and see what may lie ahead of us. Okay, so first things first, why would I want to automate the build process in the first place? What's the point of all of that? Why should I automate something that can be done manually? Well, okay, if you answer this question, I'm not even sure if you're a software developer because of course we want to automate everything that's possibly automatable because why would I want to do a manual task over and over and over again with a big chance of doing something wrong, of not compiling the software correctly, for example, or forgetting to deploy a certain module onto production and all of that stuff. There's so many things that could go wrong when building your application from scratch. So why in the world wouldn't you want to automate that process? I think that should be the question to ask. And in fact, that's really my first point here. You definitely need to automate something that can be broken. And the deployment of your application, especially if it's a mission-critical application, should be considered as something that's very fragile. Because if you forget to yeah, to commit or to deploy a single module, your whole application may break. And that might end up costing your company lots of dollars or euros or whatever currency is used in your country. And there's this notion of what hurts should be done more often. So if it hurts you to deploy your application, then that's definitely a sign that the whole process needs to be automated. Because if it's automated, it can't hurt anymore. Because you just have to click on a button and boom, it's done. So no more manual programming, compiling, deploying stuff on the weekend because during the week, of course, nothing uh, should be allowed to touch the production system and no more doing all that stuff over and over and over again just to yeah deploy the application. And 
Perhaps you work for a company where there are very long release cycles, for example, three months or six months even. And if you know that and you work in teams where during the last weeks uh, leading up to the deployment, everybody is super stressed out because of this integration going on, then you might know why you definitely need to automate all of this. Because there are so many things that can go wrong if during the last weeks of the um, development cycle all the teams try to integrate uh, their changes for example into the master branch if you're using it or into the trunk if you're using subversion there are merge conflicts and all of these really really annoying problems going on and let's be honest who wants that I want to be able to push a button and to have all of this stuff going on automatically without anybody having to watch if it all works correctly. The complete process needs to be automated and it needs to run reliably, of course. But not only are the developers freed by these uh, dull and boring tasks of deploying over and over again, but it also has a business value. Because, let's face it, if you're able to release a new version of your application within a few minutes just by clicking on a button... That's what I call fast time to market, right? If you develop a new feature for your application and you can publish this feature to production within a few minutes and without the need to retest everything that worked before, because of course all of this is done automatically. Yeah, you might remember episode one where I talked about unit tests. Here's why you need them again. Then I'm pretty sure your boss will love you for that. If you take a look around at other software platforms at Java, uh, .NET, Ruby, whatever, they all have this automated build process built in from the start. For example, Ruby on Rails applications, you, um, well, you can't um, really develop Ruby on Rails without automating all of that stuff because it's built in. Okay, you run a few command line commands and off you go. And there's a reason for that, because you want to be able to provide features for your application. You don't want to spend your time compiling your application and copying things from A to B. You want to program new requirements. So get rid of this manual deployment process and replace it with something that runs automatically so you have more time for the really important things you have to do. And the last thing on my list is that automating a build process might get rid of some knowledge silos inside your company. If you know a colleague who's the only one who's able to deploy the application and he's only allowed to do it on the weekend and nobody ever is allowed to disturb him or ask him any question during that process, otherwise the build will fail, for example, then you definitely have a really big problem. No company should rely on a single person for deploying their mission-critical system. Every developer on the team should be able to do that. And for this to work, you definitely need to automate that. Every developer can click a button. Not every developer can work through a manual process over a few hours just to get the system up and running. 
So I hope I made my point and you now also think that you definitely need to automate your build process. I hope so. So let's go to the next question. What steps may need to be automated during this build process? Well, it all begins with the simple compile step. If you finally leave the natural editor on the server and switch over to a repository-based development process with Subversion, with Git and, of course, with an Eclipse-based environment like Netclips or Natural One, then the first step in the process is, of course, the compile step. You need to get the sources on the server and you need to catalog them so that your application can be started. And if you switch over to a repository-based um, development process, you might also add another step before the compile step. You might have to upload the sources. For example, if we, uh, we in our company work with Natural One, and before we even can compile the source code, it has to be transferred to the server because all the developers work on their local machine where they have the newest version of the source code. But if we compile it on the server, it first has to be transferred to the server. And this is a pretty easy step to um, be honest because if you use Natural One, for example, there's a built-in ant script generator. You just have to right-click on your project and it generates an ant script for you that automates the upload and the compile step if you want to. So you can upload and compile all the sources from a single line inside the command line. You just type and build, I think it is, and um, all the sources are uploaded and compiled on the target server. But we will go into the details of these steps later. So I'll just finish my list of the steps that need to be automated. So upload, compile. The next on my list would be tests. Unit tests, of course. That's why I recorded episode one. You definitely need to automate your testing because if you don't automate that, nobody will ever call them. Let's be honest. Testing is not that high on the priority list of a developer's tasks or um, um, let's, let's say many developers don't really like testing. And if you don't automate that, I'm pretty sure it, um, yeah, the step will get lost. Um, it, it, it won't, the tests won't be executed anymore. And that's not why we wrote them in the first place, right? So you definitely need to test your system and the build should break if the tests break. That's very important because if nobody cares about the output of the tests, well, yeah, then you can get rid of them in the first place. After the tests are successful, then you might automate the next step and that could be the deployment on the target stage. For example, we have three different build process for the three different stages of our system. We have a development stage, a quality assurance stage and a production stage. And on the development stage, right after the tests have been run and they have been successful, the target F user of our development environment is completely dropped and recreated from the newly compiled versus application in our case. All of that is automated. That means when the tests are green, the development stage is completely scratched and recreated on the fly. And as you might imagine that process is run multiple times a day. After each commit, 
um, no, to be exact, after each push to our central Git repository, our continuous integration server picks up the sources, starts the automated build process, and overrides the target F user if all the compile and test steps are green. And perhaps uh, on a single day, this process is executed 20 times. So 20 times a day, there's a new release, a new version of Versys on the target development environment. And of course, this has consequences. For example, if you have human testers that work on this environment 20 times a day the environment doesn't work anymore because you just cleared the f user and uh, all of the modules are gone and that's the reason why we introduced a second stage which we call quality assurance and this stage is stable during the day so there's no automated overriding of any f user with active users locked on And our development stage is really only used for compiling and uh, finding errors the compiler can find. There's really no human being locked on to the development stage anymore because it simply doesn't make any sense. And that might mean, in our case, for example, that we had to introduce a new environment. We had to set up a new Linux server, install Anabas Natural, etc., so that we have a third stage ready for this process. It's not that hard to do. You could just clone, for example, if you work with VMs, you clone the old VM and uh, off you go. But it might also mean that there's additional work to do. And not for the developer, but maybe for the administrator who needs to set up a new system. The last point on my list are, well unforeseen things that you might also uh, need to automate. In our case, we uh, use Web Methods Integration Server as an enterprise service bus that's always connected to Versus, to Alabas Natural via Natural RPC servers. And these RPC servers are tied to a single F user. And if we recreate this F user multiple times a day, well, the RPC servers don't really like that. So we had to find a way to, um, to shut down the RPC servers and restart them after the deployment took place. And there was really no predefined script we could use for that. We had to program that ourselves. In our case, I had to write a bunch of bash scripts because we run on Linux. That was pretty easy to do. That uh, deregistered the RPC server at the NTRX server and restarted them after a successful deployment. And Natural is... Um, Well, it's a bit special, so I'm not sure if there might be any other things going on that you need to automate in your company. But this is just one example that I came up with because I had to um, fix that problem. So there might also be additional steps that you need to automate in your environment to be able to have the fully automated build process from start to finish. Okay, um, the next question on my list is what tools are available for automating the natural build process? And I talked about some of them a bit earlier. In my opinion, it all starts with Git or with your versioning control system of choice. For example, Subversion or Team Foundation Server or CVS or whatever versioning control you're using. It's important that you use a versioning control system in the first place without that 
I'm pretty sure that you won't be able to automate your process because you need one single point of truth where the new release, the new version of your software comes from or is defined. You can't rely on a single developer, for example, to provide a working version of your application. It definitely needs to be checked in into a versioning control system where you can, for example, roll back the changes, where you can see who changed what and why and all of that stuff. So if anything goes wrong, you need a way to go back to a previously working version of the system and all of that is nearly impossible if you don't use versioning control so the first step if you don't have anything is to set up a versioning control system and to get your software into versioning control and after this initial step the rest is pretty easy because for example if you use git or subversion then you install a continuous integration server like jenkins and it will be instantly able to pick up your sources there are built-in functionalities for attaching subversion or git to a jenkins server It only takes a few clicks and uh, entering a text into a text box on a website and that's it there's nothing more that you have to do but this is already the second step on my list a continuous integration server in the next few minutes i'll be talking about jenkins which is an open source project it's freely downloadable from the internet it's uh, one of the most famous continuous integration servers out there and it's used in uh, java land and in many additional platforms it's also able to build.net and ruby and whatever you want it's a pretty well-known system and i would even call it the de facto standard when talking about continuous integration but of course there are different systems for example there's uh, i think team city is one or team foundation server by microsoft or um, cruise control or I'm, i'm not even sure what hundreds of other ci services are out there just use the one that you're most comfortable with or use the one that's already present in your company because if you take a look around in your company and there are for example java developers or .net developers and in most of the companies i talk to that use natural this is the case Just ask your colleagues what tool they are using. Perhaps there is already a working Jenkins installation running on some web server in your company that you can use for all of this. But what exactly does this CI, this continuous integration server, do? Well, for example, it checks out the code, it builds the code, it tests the code, deploys the code, and all of this is even documented, and you can take a look at it just by opening a web page. So there are, for example, plugins for displaying test results right within the web page. And you can see a list of the logs that were produced during your build process. You can um, install many additional plugins, for example, for attaching external systems, for talking to your issue tracker, for example. So Jira or Redmine can be integrated into Jenkins. And it's, it's a very open platform and it has plugins for almost 
almost any use case that you can think of. And this CI server is the heart of your build process because it controls all the single systems that need to cooperate to be able to produce a working build. It talks to Git, it talks to the compiler, it talks to servers to deploy your software, etc. All of this is managed by the CI server. So choose your CI server wisely. It definitely is a system that you will spend a lot of time with because if you just start out with your build process, you will need to define all the single steps in the UI of this build server. And we at Alte Oldenburger use Jenkins for Well, I, I'm not exactly sure. Five years, I guess, and uh, we're pretty happy with it. All of our requirements are met by Jenkins itself or we found plugins that do the job we wanted to do. But I'm honest, there were also many steps that Jenkins wasn't able to do simply because there wasn't any plugins for this whole software AG world. Of course, you can't simply download a natural compiler for Jenkins. It's just not possible because it, nobody has programmed such a plugin. Okay. So we had to come up with our own solution. And what we ended up with was a process where we would compile the sources on the target server with a Java application that we wrote ourselves and a combination with, for example, bash scripts that uh, call into a natural batch mode and simply start a cut all, for example, for every library of our natural system. And if you use natural one, of course, all of this should be pretty easy because as I mentioned earlier, there's this unscript that you can generate and this whole upload and compile step can be fully automated just by generating this script. You only need to install ant and ant is a pretty well-known build tool in the Java community. So there's already a Jenkins plugin for ant available. You only have to install ant and uh, attach it to Jenkins and then you Your build step looks like, well, a single call to ant, ant build, and you're done because everything else is handled by the software AG ant script, and you only need to provide, for example, the credentials for your target server, and that's all. But if you don't use Natural One yet, I speak from experience, you can fully automate all of this yourself. Just come up with some solution for running a cut all over all your libraries. That's all you need to do, basically. You have to make sure that the source code is transferred to the server in the newest version. And if that's done, you simply start a cut all. And that's it. And to be honest, we still use our own written tool for this step because one caveat with the ant script from SoftwareG is that the compile errors can't be extracted from the enormous log that the ant script produces. In our case, for every module that's uploaded and compiled, there are five lines of Uh, entries in a log file. So we end up with multiple megabytes of log files after a single compile step. And trying to find compile errors in this really long text is uh, pretty hard to do. I'm not going into the details here, but trust me, it's not as easy as uh, searching for a regular expression in this log file. 
Our own solution simply calls a natural batch program that starts a cat all. And the result of this cat all run is the well-defined output file of SoftRAG. So we create a batch script for the cut all uh, job to run and it produces an output file that more or less looks like the output of a manual cut all if you've ever run one in your natural environment. And this text file is pretty short and contains only the errors that we are interested in. So we wrote a very tiny parser for this log file and are now able to publish the compile errors right on the Jenkins website. So that after a compile broke, you are able to see right within Jenkins which module couldn't be compiled and for what reason. So you get the error message that you're used to when compiling a module with a syntax error, for example. And that makes finding the error in our code base, of course, very easy. We can even attach the log output to a mail that's automatically sent to all the natural developers after a build breaks. So looking for the error is pretty easy. You just take a look at the mail and there you find the natural modules, the exact error message, why the modules couldn't be compiled and even the line number where the error occurred. So you just switch over to your natural IDE and fix the error and uh, push again. And why am I telling you this? Well, Many times I've heard the excuse, well, in our company, this whole process wouldn't work because we are on a mainframe, because we use natural version X, because our tools are completely different than all of the tools of any other company. And that might all be true. But I'm pretty sure because we're all developers, we can find solutions for these problems. The RPC server problem was something that we never expected to happen before we tried it. And of course, it was work to fix that problem. I had to write some bash scripts and a command line tool that fixes all of that. But in the end, it worked because let's face it, You can program that yourself. These are all just basic tools that can be automated. SoftRagey provides many batch processes for compiling, for finding errors, for deregistering RPC servers at an entire X server. The APIs are already available. You just might have to call them yourself and provide a script that can be called from Jenkins in order to automate the process. And that's exactly what we did. I wrote this small bash script and we added a build step in Jenkins that remotely calls this bash script on our target environment and we're done. So don't be the guy to tell me that in your environment all of this isn't possible. You might know the saying, if you don't want to do something, you'll find excuses. But if you do want to do something, you'll find solutions. And that's exactly what we did because we wanted to make this automated build work. We know we have to automate all of that to be ready for our future developments. And believe me, if we <laughs> had given up this task after the first tiny problem, um, we would still be working on the natural editor on the server. So I'm not saying that all of this is easy. I'm only saying that it's doable. 
It might take some work, but everything is possible. At least that's what I experienced over the last few years that I worked with Adabas and Natural. And this leads me to my second last question. How can I get started? How can you get started if you don't have anything automated yet? The most important thing is that you need to be able to compile your system from scratch. There cannot be any compile errors in your code base. You will definitely need to delete programs, modules that can't be compiled anymore and most of them I'm pretty sure you won't even miss. We went through this stage. We completely cleaned our code base of all of the modules that couldn't be compiled for whatever reasons. There were database definitions that simply weren't available anymore on the target environment, for example. There were reference to PDAs that have changed or have been deleted and uh, many different programs and modules that couldn't be compiled at all. And for many of them, no one in our company was able to tell if they have ever been used in production. So we mercilessly deleted all of the stuff that couldn't be compiled. And today, a few months or even years in case of our development environment, nobody cares. Not a single module was missed by anyone. So it turned out that they were really broken and nobody relied on them to work. Of course, it was strange to delete, for example, 500 natural modules that couldn't be compiled. But as it turns out, everything's just fine. So if you take this first step and have a code base that can be compiled without errors, then you're ready to automate the whole pipeline. And my tip for you would be to script everything. I'm pretty sure that there is already a build process that's used in your company. Maybe some colleague of yours does some manual things after all of the colleagues have gone home in the evening and um, magically on the next day there's a new working system. But He has to do something and you may need to look over his shoulder and see what exactly he does. And I'm pretty sure that all of the steps any one of your colleagues does manually now can be scripted, can be automated. For example, copying files from A to B. It's just a single line of bash code, for example. Or compiling something with a cat-all step in an interactive natural session. All of this can be called from the outside with natural in batch mode. And I'm sure there are many additional steps that can be automated. For some of them, this might be pretty easy. For some of them, it might be pretty hard to do. But We're software developers and we really like hard problems, don't we? So, if you come up with a pretty hard task to automate, you shouldn't be scared. You should be happy because now you have something to do for the next few days. 
And if you finally automated all the single steps of your build process, then it's just a matter of minutes or maybe hours to configure this build pipeline in a CI server like Jenkins. And if you don't know what CI server you should use, then start with Jenkins. From my personal experience, it's really easy to set up. You download it, You uh, th there's even an installer, you just have to double click on it and you have a working Jenkins server. And it's really easy to configure. It's all um, configurable via a pretty intuitive web interface. And if you don't know what you should be doing, then ask Dr. Google. Jenkins is well known in the industry and you'll find lots of answers on Stack Overflow, for example, if you Google for a Jenkins problem. And Jenkins will be able to call all of the steps that you automated before. It can call shell scripts via an SSH connection, for example. It can execute PowerShell scripts on a Windows server. It can run Ant or Gradle or whatever Java tool that's out there. There will be plugins for all of them. And of course, you can also call your own programs and you can write, a, for example, a bash script that calls into natural. And with this, you will definitely be able to automate all your natural tasks. So in my opinion, it's easy to start. Just download Jenkins. Try to, um, well, let, let's start with the first step. Try to compile your natural application from a command line. Write a short script, maybe even a, a natural script that does the cut all for you. And if you've managed to do that, it's pretty easy to hook that into Jenkins and to have Jenkins call it, for example, after each push to your um, versioning control system. You don't have to start with a fully automated build that's perfectly fine. Start with one single step. Start with only the compilation step. And if you've reached that goal, then take a look at what might come next. What helps you during the development phase. For example, if it helps you that Jenkins sends out an email to every natural developer after a build breaks, well, that's another step you can easily configure in Jenkins. And if you then decide, hmm, let's try NetUnit and try writing unit tests, automate that. And finally, if you're ready to take the last step and even deploy the newly compiled application into your target environment, then try to do that too. Automating your build environment and your build process can be a series of small steps that you take one after another. And to just give you some ideas what could also be automated, I'll end today's episode with a few things that I have in mind when I think about our development and build process. I really would like to automate imports of database data because we have an application that relies on certain entries in a database And of course, we don't want to reconfigure the application after each deployment. So we need a way to automatically import this data into our database database. And of course, that's possible. For example, if I write a natural program that simply imports data from a CSV file or for an, uh, from an XML file, if the program is already there and it works, I can simply call it from the command line and I'm done. So it's definitely doable. The next thing that I'm thinking about right now is automating not only database data, but 
database schema migration. For example, if a field gets added to an database table, right now our DBA has to enter this field on many different stages and As I've mentioned in the first episode, we also run two clients on our database database. So all of the stages times two have to be manually modified when the schema changes. And this needs to be automated. It's one of my, uh, one of the things on my personal to-do list for the next months. And the last thing, just to give you another idea what could be possible, implement feature toggles for a more fine-grained control over your application's functionality. Right now, we work on a branch-based um, versioning system in Git. So we have one branch in Git for every stage. We have development, QA, and production. And we have to merge between them to deploy features onto the next stage and what i personally would like to try out is the concept of feature toggles which are simply if statements inside your code that check whether a certain feature is activated or not and if it is activated the module behaves differently than if the feature is not enabled and for example you can enable and disable these features via a an adabase table so you can while the program is running change the functionality of your program or you can uh, configure a feature toggle so that it automatically switches on on the 1st of january because there's a new requirement that's only allowed to be in production on the 1st of january for example so no more manual deployments or even manually starting the deployment at a certain time it's all built into the application and after a certain point in time the new feature is automatically enabled wouldn't that be cool so you see there are quite a few more things that can be automated and that other companies are already thinking about And that should get you moving and thinking about your current build process. Okay, that's all for today. I hope that I could inspire you to just think about your current process. And maybe you see some problems. Maybe you see that there's a knowledge silo or something that breaks every time somebody's touching it. Well, all of this doesn't have to be that way. We have the tools at our hands to automate all of that and to reliably build our system. If you liked what I talked about today, feel free to take a look at the show notes where I've listed all of the points that I talked about today and I would really love to get feedback from you. The show notes can be reached directly at legacycoder.com slash Two, the number two for this second episode. Feel free to write me a comment or write me a mail or contact me on social media, on LinkedIn, on Xing, on Twitter. You can find me almost anywhere. And I would really love to hear from you how your company has maybe already automated your build process or what ideas you're thinking about right now. Let's make working with natural as innovative as any other language and platform that's already out there. 
And if you want to help me with that, I would love to get a review from you, for example, at iTunes or Stitcher. That would really help me to make this podcast more visible out there so that many, many more natural developers from all over the world find this podcast and maybe share their experience with the community. And with this, I'll end today's episode. Thank you for your attention and until next time on the Legacy Coder Podcast. Bye. Bye.